This is the Mindfulness and Productivity Systems Podcast with Dr. Serene Sharif. This is a space where we explore how mindfulness, productivity systems, and our thoughts create the magic in our life. I'm here to help and support you if you are struggling with overwhelm and burnout, and you're looking for tools to take control of your time, mind, energy, and productivity. I'm your host, Dr. Serene Sharif, and I am a general surgeon, medical educator, mom to three wonderful children, and wife, which were all instrumental in my journey to be a productivity and burnout coach. I'm excited to share my tools and unique framework to build a community so no one has to go through this alone, empowering each other to find our way out of burnout and overwhelm. We will explore how my mindfulness and productivity systems framework can help you combine the energy of mindfulness with the scientific principles of habit building and your unique systems of productivity. My framework is designed to help you find clarity, design your dream life, and create your transformation. We'll discuss how to overcome limiting beliefs and obstacles that are standing in the way of your dream life, as well as how to create and sustain your new habits in a way that will allow you to finally ditch your willpower and motivation struggles and have more time and energy to live your best life. This is episode number 55. This has been an amazing month of exploration of our feelings, our emotions, the vibrations within our body. And I hope that you've had a chance to really explore what your emotions are telling you. Because the reality is that our emotions, our feelings are always connected to our thought in the moment. So it tells us whether it's a conscious or subconscious thought that we're experiencing, what is really going on for us and our thoughts and our feelings generates the actions that we take and ultimately the results that we create. Over the past month, we've had a chance to explore overwhelm, disappointment, frustration, contentment. We talked about what do indulgent emotions feel like? such as doubt, indecision, confusion, exhaustion, busyness, worry, comfort, and even the emotions that help us rise. We included emotions such as gratitude, compassion, clarity, curiosity, courage, authenticity, and connection. I hope that this exploration into our human emotions, our human journey, has been a place for all of us to practice self-love, self-compassion, and self-acceptance. That this is really where we are. This is what we're feeling. What are our emotions actually telling us? And how can we honor and be present with our emotions without feeling like it should be different? Things need to change. All of that can come. As humans, we are changing and growing. So that's great. But when we deny the humanity within us, which is when we deny that we feel something by telling ourselves, I shouldn't feel disappointed. It's fine. This is, you know, what it is. I shouldn't feel frustrated. I shouldn't feel upset. Is it okay for us to just be upset for a second and say, yeah, this is a space. It wasn't what I expected. And of course, it's normal that I would feel this way. Giving ourselves that space to feel and heal is really important, even when we want to do something different and create different results. We can do all of that. 
But by denying ourselves, our human emotions, we are actually making it much harder to shift into that space of intention and growth. And for all those listening and supporting, I just wanted to say thank you for all of those who have been leaving me reviews, sharing it with a friend, sharing what is working and what is not working. I really appreciate that as it helps to expand this message to a wider global community. Because the reality is that we're all going through this and it's important to remember we're not alone in this human journey. So if you found this valuable, please like, subscribe, leave a review on iTunes and share it with a friend or two. I would greatly appreciate that. I'm so excited to welcome my guest today, Dr. Manisha Alualia certified professional life coach and board certified infectious disease physician. We met through our coach training and she has been a huge inspiration and an amazing friend for me as I've gone through my own coach journey in my own growth and self-acceptance. Her connection to what it means to be human and to help other humans include three tours with Doctors Without Borders and generously sharing her time, her heart, and her mind. I am excited to have her and I know she has expanded my mind and my human emotions in understanding myself better and really understanding that it's okay wherever we are, that sometimes these hard experiences and great experiences, they're there to enhance our connection to contentment. And I am excited to have her share her story as well as the transitions and experiences that she has had in her journey to embrace all of her human emotions. Hi, Manisha. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that you've shared that has really helped me open my own mind to self-acceptance, self-compassion, and self-love is just a reminder that we all have a human brain and that it's okay to be as we are today, that it's okay to just be present with ourselves and accept and love ourselves unconditionally. So thank you for that bit of brilliance. I would love for you to share about your journey, especially in situations of burnout and overwhelm. And how did you find coaching and all of the other tools that you use to connect to that self-acceptance and self-compassion? And connecting to yourself through all of this. Thank you. I would love to share that. But first, I want to just highlight that you said that we met in our coach training. And that's so interesting that you said that because remember, we were trained coaches, I think, when we met. But somehow, as we met through that Facebook group and Leverage and Growth Accelerators, we were still young coaches becoming more experienced coaches and exploring what we wanted to do in our coaching world. So it's interesting that you mentioned we met during coach training, even though we were already certified and trained coaches. Yeah, I remember that we were accountability partners actually through Leverage and Growth. And I think that I connect so much of my coaching growth with you. So that's probably why my brain has it all connected because I think just exploring what it means and how do we do some of the things and helping our brains, my brain, which was so connected to my identity as a physician, explore myself as an entrepreneur and as a coach. I think I feel like you were my partner in that journey. You were mine too. Yeah. I just, that was great. How did I get 
into coaching. So I went to medical school, did my residency, did my fellowship during fellowship, ready to join Doctors Without Borders. And for many reasons, what worked out best was that I took my first attending job. And in my first attending job, I came across the first hurdle as an early attending, which is this idea of being productive as an attending physician. And what that means is for the audience members that aren't physicians, how many patients do you see? What's the income and that you generate for the quote unquote business that you're working in? And this is a foreign concept for most people, I think, from the outside that we actually have productivity goals in our jobs, but there are, and they were unwritten. And after about a year of working in my first attending job, I was told that I'm not being productive enough. In other words, not bringing income to the business that I was working in. And this is not my own practice. I worked for others. It was an academic practice. And I was quite put off by that statement, especially as an early first job attending. And they said, you need to be more productive or we think you should look for another job. And I didn't know really what it meant to be more productive or how am I supposed to make myself more productive as an inpatient consultant? I didn't know that I could create more illness, that I could go do more work. See, it sounds so ridiculous, but that's what they were saying. So it didn't work out. It wasn't the best fit for me. I said, I'm going to go. And I decided to pursue Doctors Without Borders. And because this is important because this started my humanitarian volunteer journey. And because of that, my cousin connected me to another guy who was also in his volunteer journey. And on that basis, we were connected. We were introduced to one another and we met and we decided to be life partners. We wanted to volunteer in the world together. And we thought that children might get in the way of that dream. So we decided to do volunteerism, go abroad. We did our first mission together with Doctors Without Borders in Uganda. And this was in our first year of marriage. And during that time away, many of our friends and family started having children. So the story changed because he now became aware of his desire for children. And we were not on the same page. That was a first hurdle that made me realize that I was having my first kind of major challenge, a marriage in which he wants kids and I don't want kids. So that was the first challenge. I decided I wasn't going to pursue it. Once I decided to pursue it, I was having trouble getting pregnant. And the reason this is important is because I thought I needed to get quote unquote healthier to be in a position to become pregnant. So in order to get healthy, I thought I needed to lose weight. And in order to lose weight, I thought I just hire a coach. And so when I hired a coach, I hired a coach that was a doctor. And in fact, I hired two coaches that were doctors. And through that, I became aware of what this life coaching thing is and realized that life coaching not only brought me results, but is actually something I wanted to pursue as a career for myself. And as I pursued training and coached more people during training, I realized this is something that calls to me more than being a physician sometimes. So I started straddling that line between two careers and managing both while facing burnout, not only in my relationship, in my health journey at work, because now I'm trying to pursue fertility treatments, working as a physician and while in coach training. So everything was happening at the same time. And I think that through coaching, I learned how to manage what I truly wanted and being okay with pursuing things that I didn't want, like becoming a mom, right? I was doing it for a relationship rather than doing it just for me. And so this put me in a different category than most people who are trying to get pregnant. But at the same time, it was my personal journey. No, I didn't want children. Yes, I decided to try to have children. Yes, I knew I was having fertility issues. And yes, I'm going to pursue having more fertility treatments to try and become pregnant, even though having kids was not something I wanted personally for me. And that was my personal journey. And finding that 
okayness with that, the acceptance with that, that was the work. That was the work for a really long time, which brought me really to four years of pursuing fertility without any success and to the point where we adopted embryos. And then to the point where I decided this was the end of the road for me. We were no longer shared in our dreams. We didn't have the same goals and it wasn't working and we separated. And in four days, we'll have our official divorce hearing, which to me is still so hard to believe. But I think it was with coaching by my side that I found out this is what truly needed to happen. I needed to say goodbye to this part of my life to be well. Thank you so much for sharing such a personal journey. And I'm sure listeners who are perhaps going through their own unique journey, their own challenges, would you mind sharing how did you find that inner belief in okayness that yes, this is my journey and I accept that and I can love myself through that? How did that happen? I think that there are, from the get-go, from my upbringing, I've had a sense that I know what I'm doing and I know what's best for me, that I am my own support and that I do have my own back. However, through life, that gets covered up. And in a coaching session, I remember Dr. Sunny Smith, my coach at the time, offered to me, you feel jealous that this other woman is pregnant and you feel happy for her that she's pregnant. And what is it about that that feels wrong? Why isn't it okay to feel both emotions at the same time? Why aren't both human emotions allowed since you yourself are human? And that moment I remember was this aha moment where I was reminded that being human is what makes us who we are, not picking one emotion or the other, not picking one thought or the other. Sometimes we hold both thoughts. Sometimes we hold both feelings. It clicked in such a way that I can't describe. It was like this huge moment where acceptance became the only option. I have to accept what I do feel. And in that moment, I felt jealous and I felt really happy for her, this other woman that was pregnant, something that I was trying to achieve so hard and it wasn't happening. And I don't know, that's what made it click in place so that I I was able to use that moment to really guide so much of what came after that. The thought that, okay, I'm human. I'm going to have both emotions. All right. I'm going to have both thoughts. And what's so interesting is that right now in this part of life where we have separated and we are about to divorce, I have two thoughts. One is he didn't fulfill his end of the bargain. And the other is he had a dream and he's pursuing it and he's allowed to. And I have tried for so many coaching sessions as a client now to decide which one is the one I want. And again, I'm back to this really more true thought for me, the one that works best for me, which is I have both thoughts and neither one is the one that brings me a singular feeling. I get to feel both feelings, which is is victimy. He left me victimy and he had a desire and that makes me feel compassionate. So I feel both at the same time. And I don't know that I'm going to fight either one anymore. And that really brings peace. And that's where it's helping me even today. I love that. I do talk about the model and our feelings are really coming from our thought in the moment, but just to highlight for everyone listening to is that we always talk about the unintentional model, right? Like where we're living and what does that mean? And how do we get to a more positive, positive intentional model that will help generate the results that we want to see. But like you said, we're humans, we're going to experience 50% of the time negative emotions and 50% of the time positive emotions. But a lot of the negative emotions generate a secondary thought, oh, this is wrong. Something is wrong. Why am I feeling this? I should feel a certain way. But like you said, we're human. We are going to have all of the emotions. And by shutting down 50% of our soul, 50% of 
our heart saying that's it's wrong for us to feel that way or there's something we have to somehow just change it without even accepting that part of ourselves i think is it's not honoring our humanness and i love that we can accept yeah we are going to have all of these thoughts and emotions and we get to accept that and say we're still worthy we're enough we don't have to change and do something so that it feels right in our mind that somehow okay yeah i feel the shouldness of the experience so thank you for sharing that and highlighting that yeah that's exactly what it feels like when i'm able to say i do feel like a victim sometimes and i'm able to say that i do feel empathetic and compassionate at times that's really what holding both of those together is really what helps me feel well so like for someone else for example i feel guilty when i go to work and leave behind my dependents at home and don't give them time and attention, for example. And I feel guilty and I feel very accomplished that I do such good at work at work. What if that is accepting both of those is what helps us feel well? Of course, I'm going to feel guilty, even though I wish physicians or people who work, people who put their heart and soul into everything that they're pursuing end up feeling guilty, even though we wish they didn't, but they do. And denying ourselves the opportunity to feel what we do feel, I think is what creates the unwellness the distrust within ourselves. And so why not just accept what is there first? And that's really hard because we do feel like something's gone wrong when we don't feel the comfortable emotions, when we feel the uncomfortable emotions, when we feel the unpleasant emotions, it feels like something's gone wrong. But that's because nobody's talking about, yeah, we do feel the uncomfortable emotions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I guess ultimately too, so I was talking about like frustration and disappointment, et cetera. And one of the things I realized as I was exploring those emotions, like doing some research analysis to even talk about it is that, wow, so many times when I feel frustrated, when I feel disappointed, those two emotions, particularly, I used to feel like, okay, this is all wrong. I can't deal with it. And I have to step back and I have to go do something else. And what I understood is that all of these emotions, including the things we all have, the emotions that we struggle with, or that we want to put in a box and not want to think about it. But each of these emotions are actually telling us something that is within our heart that you know, maybe even in a subconscious mind that we're not aware of a thought that is underlying that things should be different, maybe, or Mm -hmm. someone else should just know what's in my mind, Mm -hmm. or why are my kids or my workplace or wherever it is, like, why is it not exactly how I envisioned in my mind? And just one of the things that shifted for me as well, I get to be who I am, I get to experience this, and so do others. So today morning has been a frustrating morning because the morning just didn't go the way I thought it was going to. And I was getting frustrated with my kids because they weren't doing what I felt they should be doing, which is getting up in the morning and getting ready for school. It's daylight savings when we were recording this, right? When I had a moment to just sit and figure out, okay, I'm feeling frustrated. What is going on within myself? What I realized is that they are having a frustrating morning, right? They are also struggling with their own thoughts and feelings, struggling with, okay, I need to get up a little early earlier. These are the things I need to do. And they're children. They don't know how to explore through that. I felt like understanding my own experience of frustration and disappointment allows me to be present even when I feel that. And that is something that previously I would have really just tried to shift from, okay, I feel disappointed, frustrated. I'm going to put that away. And how do I want to feel? And let's just move on. But then I would have never had the opportunity to connect to, oh, I wonder, I wonder being curious, really. Like, I wonder what's going on. Why is this a problem? Of course, 
the morning after daylight savings is going to be a little frustrating. That's normal. And giving myself a little bit of grace and giving everyone else at home a little bit of grace, just allowing myself grace through my emotions has been really powerful as well. Yeah, that's true. I think also in the journey that I'm in, the more prominent feelings have changed. We talk about our most common feelings and some of my most common feelings before were inadequacy, victimy, and then channeled into empowerment. Like that started to come in. But now where I've faced four years of infertility and faced tremendous losses in terms of pregnancy losses and DNCs, and then the loss of a relationship that was a marriage and the loss of the friendship of the person who was my spouse, we really don't have much communication anymore. The loss of a full-time career as a physician, now that I'm a coach, the loss of that identity, there's moments where the grief from all of this loss, oh, and the loss of a good friend here in Baltimore, where I live, the deep grief that sometimes I feel is becoming one of the more prominent emotions in my present life circumstance. So deep grief and also deep compassion, those two are becoming more prominent. Whereas, like I said before, it used to be like victimy or inadequacy plus empowerment. Now I feel a lot more grief and compassion. So through the journey, my more common feelings are changing and then re-coaching myself on how to manage the new more common. The grief is very present. Like it, it comes at the drop of of a hat. I never know when grief is going to strike because it might be a song or it might be an email or it might be a photo memory or it might be a Facebook memory that's right in my face. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to think about this right now, but it's here. And I know that so many people probably in our audience are going to hear these messages thinking about their own triggers, right? There are reminders of our past lives. And then what do we feel from those? In my case, I feel some grief, deep sadness. And then I remember that I have a lot of compassion and grace for those moments where I just need to step away from the reality of life and and be with my grief and everything else needs to shut down. I'm just not available for everything else except for that grief at that moment. It doesn't have to take forever, but sometimes there is only room for that one thing because it's so deep. It's so powerful. It's so overwhelming. It does take over the moment for a while. And that's something new. I don't think I ever dealt with the grief as I was going through it, but now that it's accumulated, it's here. It's telling me, hey, you got to pay attention. So I actually hired an embodiment healer, which for me was a way to understand what those emotions physically feel like in my body and how I can use physical movement to move through them when they arrive. And it's really a way to be kind to those emotions when they arrive and also to speak to that inner child that probably had some unresolved grief, sadness lack of self-compassion. So giving it back to her now through this embodied healing work has also been quite a gift and a luxury to do that. What a beautiful way to honor where you are and seek support. I'm curious, as you've gone through this work, I have heard from others that as they go through some of this work, they notice changes in their body. And I'm just curious if this is a universal thing or if it's just a, a couple of unique experiences. Specifically, when we listen to our body and what our experiences and what it feels like that we are able to release some of the pain that we store in our body through our many experiences through life. So sometimes we think about just pain anywhere in our body and we don't even recognize that some of it is actually coming from our childhood or early adulthood. And we don't know that until, until going through some of this work. And I'm just curious if you've heard that or what that is like. Absolutely. I can speak to it very personally. I remember studying for board 
exams and my back spasms were so prominent that my dad literally had to put a very stiff board under my back so that he could lift me out of bed. So I had that such extreme back spasms and it followed me into my early physician career and into this fertility journey where I had very bad back spasms. Lately, there are very few back spasms. However, I will tell you, as I began the embodied healing work, my muscles in my back were getting tweaked in new ways that I never experienced before. Like I had a low back spasm that I had never experienced before. So it was almost like things were getting activated as I was becoming more aware of that deep grief. And so I was experiencing new spasms in the last few weeks. Not only have my spasms calmed down, but my blood pressure, which was always good, had gotten very high about three months ago. But without medication and through doing the healing work, my blood pressure is back to its low normal that tells me you know, I'm back in my parasympathetic. And not only is my back spasm more manageable, but my blood pressure is showing that internally things are more relaxed. And that makes me see how powerful emotions are and what they can do in our body and how we can even measure them sometimes. It's nice to have a measurable outcome to this work. My blood pressure fell to its normal levels. That's pretty cool. That is amazingly cool because, you know, I think as uh, the physicians, our brain, we're always looking for those tangible data points. And so it's nice to see that, but it's even more cool to think that as you learn to connect to your own self, to your own body, emotions, thoughts, honoring your journey through all of this, accepting and loving yourself, like understanding, yes, I can be this and that I'm on my unique journey and I can accept myself through this instead of thinking, what do I have to change? How do I, what, what are the shoulds that are coming up, right? Just honoring all of what is is through all of that, we can actually heal ourselves through some things that we've struggled with for a while. And I've heard and seen it being exhibited in different ways. A lot of times back seems to be a common space that people touch just because of the way we hold ourselves and the tenseness, headaches. Sometimes it's changes in their gut health, etc. There's so many ways that the way we, we compartmentalize our emotions, there's so many ways it shows up because when we tell our mind, no, you can't think about that, or you can't feel that that's wrong. Sure, we can somehow put it in a box, but our body has to express it somehow. Yes. Another thing that's coming up for me as you're talking about this stress incontinence. So a lot of women know about stress incontinence after they've given birth or after they've been pregnant and been further into their pregnancies. But as I never gave birth and my longest pregnancy was seven weeks, six weeks, six days to be exact. However, I have stress urinary incontinence and And by going to a person specializing in pelvic PT, I learned that women especially hold a lot of their tension, anxiety, worry in our pelvic floor muscles. And as a result, our pelvic floor muscles are overactivated. And I may be explaining this incorrectly, but they're overactivated and overstimulated and overuse of those muscles makes them weaker. And because they're weak, my pelvic floor doesn't respond as it should. So I have incontinence when I cough, sneeze laugh or play tennis, which is my all-time favorite pastime. And so I've learned that part of my body is not improving because of course I don't do the Kegel exercises and everything else that's recommended. That part is permanently suffering in a way. Pelvic floor instability or weakness is now a result of my emotions from the past. That's where I held my stress. And that's something that I've become aware of. I deal with it, but it's new, right? We don't learn 
this really in medical school and it's not that well known. So more to your point, we do hold so much of our emotions in different parts of our body. And like you said, the back, but also the pelvic floor for women apparently is a, is a big one. And we can have problems like stress urinary incontinence without ever having delivered a child. So this was new information for me and I'm going to be dealing with it because I continue to play tennis and I continue to laugh and I continue to cough and sneeze and those things trigger it. So it's part of life for me. That's really good information to know. I wasn't aware of that either and hopefully helpful for some of our listeners to know as well. And one of the things I was just thinking, how interesting as you were sharing, I thought, okay, you know, I've gone through childhood, young adulthood, and then we're supposed to know what we do. We're supposed to know how to do things. And when I was going through burnout and I was coming out of it, and that was honestly when I felt like I had clarity on just what is it that I want? And I was thinking, wow, we expect our 18-year-olds or 20-year-olds or 25-year-olds to know what they're doing, but it takes experience going through things that are challenging and going through a few cycles of these emotions. And our brain doesn't even mature the ability to understand ourselves and connect these things until we're in our 20s. So -hmm. we have all of these expectations. And I jokingly say, it wasn't until I was 40 that I felt like I even had the understanding of being able to connect to my emotions. So I've heard a lot of people say, I should know better. I know I'm this many years old. Mm -hmm. I should know better. But why do we have to know better? How do we know better? Especially when around us, the message is what you're feeling is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. What you're thinking is wrong. You need to shut that down. You need to smile more. You need to be pleasant. You need to all of the things that we are somehow being either silently or openly told. And the other thought that came up was how how will we know better if we are always listening externally and not having the opportunity to listen to ourselves? So just curious your thoughts. Oh, I'm constantly told smile. You're not smiling. Yes. It's a good question. Why am I being asked to smile? And what is it would happen if I didn't smile? Is it for you or is it for me? I'm going to smile when I feel happy. I'm going to smile when I feel entertained. I'm going to smile when I think something is funny. And other than that, my smile is not permanently pasted on my face. Yeah checking in and finding out what is the goal of other people to say that it's really for themselves. They're feeling uncomfortable that they're not seeing what they want to see on your face. So they're asking you to do it differently, but is that what's working best for you? Or does that even feel genuine for you? I have no problem smiling and laughing. I love smiling and laughing. And people have often told me that I have an infectious laugh and a beautiful smile. Thank you very much. But that's not a permanent, you know, (laughs) it comes naturally when it comes. And at other times that's not appropriate. So I'm, I'm very well aware now, if I'm not smiling, it's appropriate for me. I'm not feeling the need to smile. I'm not feeling the emotion that creates that smile. And that's okay for me. The internal wellness that I think we're all seeking, that I think the internal peace that we're all seeking is by being where we are. Like there's nothing more that we need to do, right? Like where we are, what we're doing, what we're thinking, what we're feeling at this moment, if we're in acceptance of that, how else can you feel better than that? That's amazing to feel that I'm already doing it well, that I'm already doing it correctly, that there's nothing that needs to be changed. And I can't do more than I'm doing. All of these thoughts, when they become more accessible, more available, the lower hanging fruit, so to speak, the one thoughts that you can access in the moment of those periods of inadequacy, frustration, the more we make those accessible to ourselves in times of need, the better we feel within ourselves. And how do we get those to be our more accessible thoughts? We got to recognize that we have them in the first place. And knowing that they're there, that first step in strengthening that trust we have 
have with ourselves. We've broken the trust with ourselves by looking externally. And we have to rebuild that strength, that trust that we know what's best. Then those thoughts become more accessible. And then we start rewiring, literally rewire our brains. That's why this stuff is so cool. Like we can rewire no matter what age you are. I had a 75 year old female client. Anybody can rewire their brain. And I don't know. I think it's a beautiful thing. And whatever age we are that we learn that this stuff is available is is age we learn that it's available. And that's the end of the story. I love it. How beautiful, especially for each of us to just remind ourselves that the thought, oh, it's too late for me. I'm behind. I should know all of those things. Like why? Wherever we are, we have access to that. And it doesn't matter the age. Access to the thought, I'm worthy. I'm enough. I accept myself. All of those are so powerful. And that's really all you need to get started. And it's even for myself, when I have that sneaky thought, oh, but I should have known that better. Why did I do that? I just, I remind myself, hey, because you're human. And this is just the way it is. I'm expecting my human journey to be something, you know, should be right. The expectation I create in my mind and my reality that it's okay to accept my reality that there is something magical happening in that moment that maybe I wouldn't really have found that should like experience so just saying yeah I'm right here I'm right here with you and are you saying that to yourself or are you saying it's me right like it's so nice to be able to say it to others and then in that journey of self-acceptance when we start saying it to ourselves wow then I've got everything I need I don't need the external validation I can give myself the internal validation that internal gold star the internal dopamine hit that I want so that I can create my own wellness at any time. It's always available. It's not always going to be there because we still have to be a human at times, but it is available. And the more we practice being in the thoughts that create our wellness, the more our brain gets used to hearing them. And the more it wants to go into those new loops and patterns and crevices that create internal wellness, right? We're no longer going down those old paths that create inadequacy or unwellness. And it's just a beautiful thing to rewire. It's literally neuroplasticity happening in the moment. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. If any of our listeners wanted to get in touch with you and know more about you, where would they find your information? I am on all the social media sites. So I'm on Facebook. I have my personal page at Manisha Lawalia and then my Facebook page for my business, Life Coaching for Indian. And I'm on Instagram for Life Coaching for Indians. And I am on Instagram for my personal, which is Dr. Manisha A. And I'd love to hear from you guys through direct messages on Facebook or social or Instagram. And I'm happy to set up complimentary discovery calls with anyone who might want to work with me. And I think coaching is a beautiful way for us to be okay with where we are today. And I think everybody deserves that. So thank you so much for having me on, Serene. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. And I'll include that information in the show notes as well. So everyone will have a chance to connect with you and get to know you more. I really appreciate you being here today, sharing your wisdom, opening your heart and being present with me. So thank you. Thank you. For all those listening, thank you for joining us today. If you found this valuable, please like, subscribe, leave a review on iTunes and share it with a friend or two. I would so appreciate that. I would love to hear from you. If you have a story to share about burnout or overwhelm, please reach out to me so we can continue to build this community so no one has to go through burnout and overwhelm alone. You can reach out to me at my website, serenitywellnessmd.com or Mindfulness and Productivity Systems Facebook page or at Serenity Wellness MD on Instagram. The content of this podcast is not meant to be medical advice. Tune in for the next episode coming to you every Thursday morning. Goodbye for now.